0: Well, here's what I can tell you for sure. If you were looking for a perfect church, you didn't find one. I know that because I'm here, and I know that guy, and he's here. And uh, so if this is your first time here, it's my first time too. Uh, Well, technically second time here. Uh, But it's a a joy to be here today. Um, It is, uh, you'll grow to know that I, man, I have really nothing to offer. I have Jesus and the Bible. That's all I have which is sufficient for all things. And so, yeah, that's worthy of a clap right there. I, we can go a little Bapticostal on that. And, uh, um, and, uh, but there are some times where it's appropriate to take some time and to recognize those whom God has used uh, and honor those whom God has given seats of honor to in order uh, that, that affect your life in a gospel-centered way. In fact, there's, there's two people, just real quick, from the beginning that I just want to recognize. The first, Gary, stop stand, stop right where you are. The first is Gary. Uh, Gary has faithfully borne the weight of many of the responsibilities uh, that, uh, that come with leading a campus for the last six months. So, Gary, I love you. Thank you. All of the groundwork and things you've pulled together for the last six months have been incredible And I'm walking into something that is such a gift. Thank you. Uh, I trust trust Gary uh, with with my life. I do. And the the second uh, is someone that I know you guys uh, will agree has just been such a blessing to First Baptist Church of Norfolk. The man on whom God had laid the vision with Uh, all of the whole, you know, eminent domain things and however that kind of shook out to lead the church forward at a time when it could have been very difficult. Do you know what Satan would love right now? He would love for us to be discouraged because the city of Norfolk took a little corner of our property. But because of that, I'm so grateful that God allowed Pastor Eric to remain faithful to his call. And he's been doing that for, like, decades. Like, y'all, I just want you to know, we have a great pastor. I work for a great man. We have a great pastor. And last December, I guess the cat's out of the back now, uh, when I called him and said, hey, I'm coming into town, and he said, let's hang out for a bit, and on the way home, uh, came to the Christmas party, the Volvo Christmas party, and um, we met for a little bit afterwards and On the way home, uh, talking to my wife and after we visited church that morning, she was in tears and I just thought, Lord, if could you call me here that would be that would be great and one of the reasons is because God has gifted Pastor Eric to be an incredible pastor, an incredible man of God, and it is a joy to submit faithfully to his leadership and his authority. I can't wait to see what God is going to do through our church. I'm so excited about that. And so now that those things are out of the way, less important compared to what we're here to do, would you turn with me in your Bible to the book of Isaiah? We'll be in Isaiah chapter 26 this morning. And one of the joys uh, that I have in my life is opening the word of God. It's been a little bit crazy, and so if I don't make a whole lot of sense, can you do me a favor? Like, give me the benefit of the doubt, all right? Uh, We've had a little bit of an interesting week this week. Our stuff is somewhere on a truck with dudes we're not incredibly sure we can trust right now, (laughs) all right? And uh, at some point, it'll show up, and we'll move into a house that we don't have yet. Um, uh, So we're really excited. We're kind of up in the air. And so, in fact, if If I don't make any sense from this point forward, I want you guys to write down this one thing and then at lunch at least talk about this, uh, if nothing else, if nothing else from this point forward makes any sense. I want you to write down this one thing and it is this and it'll be on the screen. The God you can trust with your salvation, you can trust with your situation. Look at the person next to you and say, the God you can trust with your salvation. Oh, come on now. Come on now. Here we go. Look at the person next to you and say, the God you can trust with your salvation, you can trust with your situation. Now here's why I need you to see that. Number one, because the Bible is clear on that over and over and over again. Did you know that in the beginning with Adam and Eve, when uh, they sinned in the Garden of Eden and they deserved death, he who eats of the tree shall surely die, God told them. And when Eve took of the tree and Adam uh, and and gave it to her husband, Adam, they deserved death in that moment, yet God made a sacrifice so that they would be saved from death. And in his grace, he took care of their situation. Their sin banished them from the garden, and yet, nonetheless, instead of falling dead on their face, he allowed them to live because God's people live because of God. Did you know that after that, God raised up a man named Abraham, Abraham, who was an older man by most standards 75 i'll let you just figure out what that means he was an older man by any standards and his wife was barren no children and god said i'm going to use you to raise up a nation that will whose number will exceed the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea and you're going to make a great nation from you i will raise up my messiah but the problem was they had no kids and they were beyond childbearing age It creates a bit of a problem. Yet, the God that you can trust with your salvation, you can trust with your situation. Old age is nothing for God, He can handle that. And then they had a little son named Isaac, and Isaac had these kids that kept fighting and warring against one another. You remember? And even in that process, God continued to work through their situation because God had given them salvation. And then uh, Isaac had, uh, Abraham, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had like 12 sons, and y'all, they were messed up, weren't they? In fact, they were so messed up that the 12 sons got together, 11 of them got together and said, we don't like Joseph, let's murder him. And one was like, no, we'll make no money out of that. Let's sell him as a slave, right? If you have a messed up family, like, welcome to the Bible, you know? But God, that you can trust with your salvation, you can trust with your situation, God sent Joseph to Egypt to raise up and down and up and down and in and out of jail until he finally raised him up to lead Egypt, second to Pharaoh only. And the God who was over his situation, because of the salvation that he gave Joseph, turned his situation to bless the people of God. And on and on the Bible goes. Now listen to me, the God that you can trust with your salvation, you can trust with your day-to-day situation. That he is not just the God of the big things, he is the God of the little things as well. That it is nothing for God to care about the orphans that are left because of the war ravaged Syria or those that are being slaughtered right now around Africa and also find you a parking spot. He can do that. He cares deeply about the big dynamics of your family as well as the little details of the heart issues of your children. And he doesn't even break a sweat caring about all of those things at once. You know why? Because the God that you trust with your salvation, you can trust with your situation. And now this is where we begin to enter Isaiah 26. Because if you are like me, you understand if you've been around church for a while, or maybe this is the very first time, that some guy has stood on stage in a coat or not in a coat if you're more trendy. I'm just... I can't pull off the skinny jeans and no coat thing, right? I just I don't have the the curse for that or whatever. I just don't I don't know how to do that. Right? So and then some guy has told you that you can trust God and you begin to hear that and then you begin to face a very, well, difficult thing in life. You begin to say, Well, I I know I can trust God, but like where man, where was where was God when dad split, right? Like I know I I know you're saying I can trust God, but what about my kid who will not answer my calls and I have no idea where they are and I don't know what's going on with them? Like, I know, I, okay, I hear, I, hear, I hear that I can trust God. I hear that I can trust God. But like, wh- man, what about my marriage? It's just falling apart. All we do is fight all the time. And we're even, that's just, you know, the ride on the way to church. Not everything else outside as well is just crazy. Or like a word cancer enters into your life. And you begin to go, okay, I get it. Like, he'll save me. Yeah, but what about this? And so Isaiah 26 was written to a group of people, was revealed, revealed to a group of people who were enduring an incredibly difficult time. They were God's promised people who were now walking through an incredibly difficult situation because they had been taken captive from their native land, Jerusalem. They'd taken into Babylonian captivity. Their king had been deposed. There was wickedness all around. And those who were following God were asking the question like, I know that you've saved us, but I have this situation. And now Isaiah in chapter 26 writes into that to say, listen... The God that is in charge of your salvation, you can trust with this situation. Now, we have the benefit of all of these uh, centuries later looking back and going, like, God had it the entire time, but they did not. And so here's where we enter the text. What does it look like to trust God in the midst of a trial? How do we find peace? Everybody say peace. How do we find peace in the midst of chaos? Well, this week we're beginning to kick off a series on peace and how we find peace in the midst of life. And today in Isaiah 26, we're going to look at peace through trust. And if you're in here today and you're going through a situation in your life or you know someone who goes, man, I I understand that you say we can trust God. But what about this? Isaiah 26 has something to say to you. In fact, in Isaiah 26, we're going to have kind of three points here. Isaiah 26, the very first thing we're going to see is that, uh, is that what it looks like to trust God in difficulty, the very first thing we're going to write down after that whole thing is that we're going to trust the one who keeps us trusting. Now, hold on. I know that that's pedantic, right? You're going to trust God by trusting the But let's just walk through the text, and you're going to see what's going on. As we see what Isaiah 26 says to us, who are in trials and difficulties about finding peace in the middle of it. In fact, look at Isaiah 26, beginning in verse 1. The writer of the prophet Isaiah says, In that day... Okay, so what is in that day? What is that day? It's what I was just talking about. That in the trial of captivity, God's people are wondering what in the world is going on. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Listen to this. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in the Lord. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He has, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, uh, the, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. So here's what Isaiah begins with in chapter 26. He begins teaching them a song of why they can trust God. Let me ask you a question in your notes right now. Why don't you take a moment and just begin to write down, here's why I can trust God. Perhaps you'll come up with some of the same things that Isaiah has here. Just look at the text here in verse 1 and 2. We have a strong city. They're looking forward to the day. God has promised a strong city. He sets up as salvation as walls and bulwarks that God has designed a salvation for your life that cannot be overthrown and will not be deposed. Look at verse two. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. That God has designed a way for you to enter into that salvation through meeting a standard of perfection. Huh, we'll get there in a minute. Continuing on, why he why Isaiah says you can trust God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Do you know what it looks like to have your mind fixed on something? It's kind of like in a little bit when we start to wrap up and you begin to turn your mind over to lunch. There's no reconciling that thing back, right? You are ready for lunch. Your mind is fixed on that. Or when you're looking around the house for something and you're oblivious to everything else because you have one thing on your mind. At least that's how I am. I can't see anything else. Your mind is fixed on that. That you are eyeball to eyeball and everything else around you can't distract because you are fixed on that thing. That, that Isaiah encourages them that you keep in perfect peace those whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts you. And then he gets into the character of God here in verse four. You can trust in the Lord forever because he is an everlasting rock. He goes all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom and everything in between. He is watching the galaxies right now as they form black holes and suck in entire things as well as watching a dust mite fall through your body bed sheets right now. I mean, God is literally in every single component, an everlasting rock that does not give way. And he has humbled those who were high up and brought up those who were low. Look at how he continues in verse five. He's humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. So here's what Isaiah does. Isaiah gives the people of God a vision that says, listen. You can trust God and he will keep you trusting if you keep your eyes fixed on him. Okay, here's, here we go. When it comes to the struggle that you're dealing with right now, would you say that your eyes are fixed on God, the everlasting rock who will hold you in perfect peace? Or would you say that he's in the periphery while your eyes are fixed on something else. You see, what Isaiah is doing is helping turn the eyes of the people back to where they ought to be so that in the midst of chaos, they will find the perfect peace that God has for them. And if you're like me, when you're going through struggles, it seems that God is somewhere, but truly, I work so hard to resolve it on my own, forgetting that all the while, the one in whom I can find that perfect Peace is God and God alone. So just be honest and real with God. It's going to get real, real right now in just a minute. We're going to go through a lament. But thinking of that thing, where are your eyes fixed right now? When it comes to what's going on at work right now, are you more fixed on the idea of maneuvering and, uh, uh, and, uh, and instigating and negotiating your way around an issue? Is that where the source of your trust is? Or do you have your eyes fixed on God, who literally can give and take away authority at will? Man, when it comes to your marriages, you're thinking about the struggle that you have. Now, I'm telling you, there's some real influence that you ought to have in your marriage that God has given you by design. But if the bedrock foundation Of that, are you hoping in the one who you're married to to somehow change or is your your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ who can change the heart and the mind and the life of your spouse in an instant if he so chooses? Man, when it comes to your kids, can I just, parents, can I give you a break for just a minute? So often we carry the weight of how our kids turn out much more than we actually are responsible for. Like, you, you know this because you have brothers and sisters and you were raised in the same household and some of them did okay and some of them didn't. And like, that's life right now. But worrying so much about, men if I was home more, if I didn't take that job, if I didn't take that deployment, if I didn't take that promotion, then maybe my kid wouldn't be as messed up as they are. But the beauty of this is you get to fix your eyes on Jesus and go, no, no he is the one that's sovereign over these Things. And that's what, Isaiah, that's what Isaiah is doing for, for these people. In the midst of the chaos, are you holding fast to God or is it something else? You know, maybe at the end of this, your action step needs to be to refocus your eyes on God and God alone. Who could resolve all of those things? Okay, but here's the question that comes up now. Because in the middle of this, Isaiah is speaking to the people of God as they're in captivity here. And he's saying, listen, just... He, he will keep you in perfect peace. Those whose mind is stayed on God. Those who trust God. Those whose mind is stayed on God. They will have perfect peace. And the people in Isaiah are going like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, of course we're trying to do that, but there's some differentiation between the truth of what you're saying here, Isaiah, and the reality, field reality of life. And so what do we do? And so Isaiah begins to transition in verse 7 out of this song of you. Man, you can trust the one who keeps you trusting. You keep putting your eyes on Jesus, he will keep allowing you to trust. You keep fixing your eyes on God, he will keep allowing you to trust. But then there's that moment where you go, okay, but like what about what about life, right? Because I still believe in God, but I still have these Issues, and the Bible gives us a beautiful language here in verse 7 all the way through verse 18, known as lament. Now, what in the world is a lament? Oh, this is a beautiful thing. A, a lament in the Bible is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. In, in real language, here's what it is it's getting real with God. It's where you allow yourself to take off the facade of sometimes spiritual language we can throw up to God and allowing ourselves to open up and say, God, I believe that you are good, but this doesn't feel good. Like, God, I believe you work together for the good of all those who love you, and I love you, but this does not feel good. God, I believe that you're sovereign over my life, but it feels like the thing is out of control. God, I understand that you have a plan and a purpose, but right now, this plan is, it hurts. God, I believe that you have an eternal perspective of bringing yourself glory, but right now it feels like that my failures over and over and over again aren't doing anything, and I see you doing nothing about it. This is called lament. In fact, look at the lament here in verse 7 through 18. Isaiah continues, the the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous, okay? We're going to stick with the truth. Uh, He's going to start out with the truth. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it, right? Like, yes, of course, the path of the righteous is level, and we desire you, but then look at what happens in verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Uh, That's a fancy way of saying Isaiah's looking out and going like, I know the path of the righteous lead to you and I'm living righteously, but it's not going well right now. In fact, look at how he continues now to complain in verse 10, which is a beautiful thing. If favor is shown to the wicked, He does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. Oh, Lord, verse 11, your hand is lifted up, but they don't see it. Oh, God, would you let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed? Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. Isaiah continues to say, God, I believe that the path of the righteous is flat and good, but it doesn't feel flat and good right now. I believe that those who are wicked will perish, but it seems like you're blessing them instead. God, I feel like you have promised to take care of me, but it doesn't look like that at all. God, I feel like I've been following you faithfully and still I get passed over for promotion." And that guy got it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, God. I, I feel like, man, I've been walking i have been walking faithfully to sow the gospel gospel seeds into my kids, but like one of them is just, boom, off the beaten path. Like, God, I, I feel like like the path of the righteous is level. I understand God your truth in this moment, but I feel so alone. God, I understand that you've given me a desire for a spouse, but I just, you don't seem to ever, that person got a spouse, uh-huh, right? Facebook helps you with that, doesn't it? Or with our story, God, we just want a kid. And I know what your, your word promises. And this is hard. You see, between the truth of God's word and the moment of our suffering, the moment of, the, of God's people's suffering in Isaiah, they begin to lament, to get real, real with God. Because as Isaiah challenges them to trust the one who keeps them trusting, nevertheless, we come up with all of these things that cause us to trust in them more than God. In fact, look at what they're trusting in, in verse, uh, just skipping down to verse 13. He says, "O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. Uh, Isaiah begins to remind them through this lament. Man, we've followed a bunch of different ways before. In fact, look at how he describes it down in verse 16. Oh, Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer. Some of your versions say a a whispered incantation. They began to whisper here and there to find out what in the world would actually work, even to the point of witchcraft, of, of, of seeing which spells might help them through the situation. Uh, like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is so near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O oh Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. Okay, that's just the Bible, right? Isaiah says it's like we tried and we labored and we labored and we labored. We tried everything we knew. We followed all these leaders that we thought would lead us well, and they ended up passing Away. We tried different ways that the culture had taught us to solve this situation, but it seemed like, it just seemed like a woman who is pregnant after nine months and goes to the doctor, goes through labor, and the doctor just says, it's gas, right? Like, that's the Bible, you know? Pastor Eric chose the passage for today, and so I'm thankful for this one for my first week, right? But that's the Bible, you know? And in this process, we, we, we know what that's like. To, 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 and to be where the God's people are and to go, man, I'm, I'm trying. And I'm trying. And it's producing nothing. And then Isaiah brings in verse 19. And in fact, what he does is helps us, God helps us see that as we trust the one who keeps us trusting and we are confronted with the different things that we honestly trust more than God often. Isaiah now begins to give us in verse 19 this gospel trump card that trumps it all and brings all of this stuff into view. In fact, look at verse 19. And if you are walking through a season where you're in the midst, in between God's truth and your suffering, and you're not sure how this all would make sense, I have good news for you this morning. Look at verse 19. Isaiah turns their attention and says, You, God, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, Awake and sing for joy. He tells those who are dwelling in the intermediate between the promise of God's word and the current suffering that, der- that they're enduring. He says, listen, if, it, if the worst thing possible happens, if you, you die, you serve a God whose dead will live. Now, in the midst of suffering, that doesn't seem very comforting. But as followers of Christ, we have this half of the book that helps us understand, what is Isaiah ultimately pointing to? Let's pretend that you are their people, and you're in deep struggle and deep suffering. You have not found peace. You have lost all hope. Every time you've tried, it has failed. You're trying everything you can. It's chaos around you, and you're going like, What do we have here? They're going to take our lives. And Isaiah goes, that's exactly where you need to be. That's exactly where you need to be. That God's dead will live. Do you know how dangerous you become as a Christian when you embrace this reality? When you allow the truth of God's word through lament to understand, I'm going to trust the one who keeps me trusting. I'm going to trust the one who keeps me trusting. I'm going to tell him what's going on, but I know ultimately I'm going to live no matter what. Do you know how deadly you become at work? I mean, wherever you are, whatever base you're at, whatever job you're at, whatever family you're in, when you have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain because God has promised you that in Christ Jesus, let him take your life because you serve a God who's dead will live. And how much joy there is, how much freedom is there now to know that you're not responsible ultimately for how your kids turn out. Did you know that? I mean, just have some kids, Right. I don't know what they do most of the time. I don't even know where he is right now, honestly. Do you know how freeing it is to go? Like, man, Ultimately, that is in God's hands. He is the one who causes his dead, the, his dead to live. Do you know how freeing it is to come to the truth? Like, man, even if living faithfully to God and submitting to him and walking righteously with him, he allows my marriage to fall Apart. Oh, I know that ultimately God is the God of the dead who will live. Do you know how beautiful it is to go to work and say, even if they take it all away, even if they take it all away, I serve a God whose dead will live. Do you know how freeing it is to understand that as you see God's promise of salvation and freedom from sin, and you walk in a moment where you're struggling with sin that in the other end of this you go man even even if even if my life is taken i serve a god who can make the dead live and now in the second half of this book we have the beautiful reality that he calls us to live through the gospel of jesus christ that the god that you can trust with your salvation you can trust with your situation and now here's where we're going to land the plane You see, in the last decade of pastoral ministry and in the last 33 years of life, I've found most often that my lack of peace in life at its core, at its foundation, at its bedrock, whatever you want to say, is not because I don't know if God's going to work this salvation out. But underneath that, underneath that, is a very real moment where I have to ask the question, God, do I really trust you even with my salvation? Because if you can take me, a broken and busted up sinner, and you can love me before the foundation of the world, and if you can come and rescue me, that if all of the faults and all of the failures and all of the ways that I have maligned myself against you, yet you still loved me even when I was an enemy, that you have died, sent Jesus Christ to die for me and that you offer me life who was dead in my sin. If I can trust you with my salvation, man, I can trust you with what you're going to do with my family. I can trust you with stuff on a moving truck coming from wherever it is with three shady guys who we're not actually sure what's going on there. Like I can trust you with my marriage. I can trust you where you call me. You have saved me. And even if it's in your will that in all of this place, that word cancer doesn't get beaten or I find myself in a place of despair, I know that in the end, my joy is in you because you bring the dead back to life. It hasn't even lost one. He is undefeated in this category. And so here's the question: If you're facing a situation where you're finding it like really hard to trust God with that situation, I just want to back up one step and begin to ask you, do you trust God with your salvation? In fact, that's what we're going to close on right now in just thinking through this process. And we're going to do that through prayer and response as some music begins to play. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's begin to dwell on this question. Not, God, can I trust you with my situation? We're going to get there, I promise. But in this moment, beginning to ask God, God, can I trust you with my salvation? Or do you trust him with your salvation? In fact, right now, if you're a follower of Christ, here's what I would ask you to do. Why don't you just begin to call out to God the beauty of your salvation in Him? Why don't you begin to rehearse the gospel of how you, just like all people, were dead in sin and separated from God? Why don't you begin right now to rehearse the truth that the consequences of your sin was death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Why don't you just begin to rehearse right now, tell God about the moment that you heard that i don 't mean the first time you heard it, I mean like when you when you heard it heard it, you know what I mean, and God rescued your soul and you responded in faith and confession of sin to him, that moment of salvation, you say, Tim, for me, it was a process, okay, fine, when the process was done, or whatever, right when when you begin to be awakened to the reality, you as a follower of Christ, you begin to remind yourself as you talk to God, telling Him about your salvation and how you can trust Him. How He sent Jesus to die for your sin, how you can trust Him. How He raised Jesus back from the dead after three days, how you can trust Him. And now based on that gospel truth, you line that up next to that situation, follower of Christ, and you say, God, I can trust you at my salvation. And now here's what I'm facing. I want to give you permission as a pastor to complain to God. You can do that. He's been dealing with people since he made them. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to bother him. You begin to tell God, God, I, man, I know. I know you're in control, but, like, but I got this, and it's, it's killing me. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good. But I know that I can trust you. God, would you help me to find peace in the midst of this? So if you're a follower of Christ, tune me out. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't even know what that means. I still have the same question. Have you trusted God with your salvation? I don't mean, have you gone to church? I I don't even mean, are you here today? I, I mean, have you trusted God with your salvation? If you, it's just you and God right now. If you would say, no, I haven't. Then right now in this moment, why don't you trust him today? And the same gospel truth that shapes the situations of believers is the same gospel truth that now defines your situation in this moment. That you would come to a place where you would agree with God that you are a sinner. That you would confess your sins to God knowing that sin has a consequence of death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the gospel truth is that God knew you were a sinner and he sent Jesus to die on a cross for you anyways. He knew you weren't perfect, so God became flesh in perfection and paid the perfect penalty of sin on your behalf. And then he raised himself back to life three days later to show that his dead live. So if you're in here today and you are dead in sin, you can live. And we do that through confession of sin and asking Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior and c- giving our lives completely to Him. And now that reality defines every situation about us. But first we've got to get that salvation issue. So if you're not a follower of Christ and today the Lord is leading you to say, you don't trust me with your salvation. Why don't you trust me right now? Why don't you take a moment during this next song and pray to confess your sins. Pray to believe in Jesus Christ. Pray to trust God with your salvation. Man, and then if you're looking for a place where you can learn how to trust God in your situation, you're sitting in one. I know this church isn't perfect because I'm here so if you're not perfect, like welcome to the group, right? Whatever decision the Lord would have you make in this moment, let's, let's do that. I'm going to pray and there will be Gary up front here and Daryl up front here. And if you need to talk with somebody or you just want to respond where you are, why don't you take that time to respond and And then let's walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like Him than when we came in. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for being so good to us. Lord, I thank You for the beauty of being able to stand here in this moment and just tell people what Isaiah 26 says. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, I thank You that we can trust you, and that you, when we trust you, you you keep us trusting. Lord, I thank you that you let us be really real with you. That as we sang, we don't have to put up the facade of religion. Lord, we don't have to put up the, our standard of how many good works we did this week. That we can come before you fully broken, fully aware that we are imperfect, and that you would receive us because of jesus christ i thank you god that you give us a language of lament to cry out to you when we don't see things that seem fair or right and that god you have given us the ultimate trump card over all things in this life that your dead will live Lord, I pray that you would help every person in here be defined by the gospel in every situation that they see does not seem good. Lord, for those who are followers of Christ, I pray that they would be reminded again of your salvation that you have made for them. And Lord, that if they trust you with salvation, God, they can trust you with their situation, even if it doesn't make sense. We know you're looking out for Lord, for those in here who aren't following you, God, I pray that by your spirit, you would convict them to respond to your gospel. That in this moment, the best they know how, they would cry out to you for salvation. Knowing that every other situation pales in comparison to their truest and greatest need of eternal life in Jesus Christ, because you've shown us through him that your dead live. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.